people to be locked up this way. So the good news is it doesn't just happen spontaneously. We don't always return to this. The bad news is we're really susceptible to the kind of propaganda that lets governments and parties make us believe that this is necessary. So that's really where we have to, I think, focus if we want to keep this from happening is on that propaganda that sells people on the idea that other human beings are animals or that they're filthy or that they represent a kind of crime danger that is just invented or that they are somehow subhuman. These are the things we hear again and again. And I heard them from people who were in favor of some of the camps we have today. For instance, when I was in Myanmar, I heard exactly this language. This is language we hear from the president and camps rely on it in order to exist. I think concentration camps are gonna be really hard to eradicate, but any system is vulnerable to it. So just because you're a democracy doesn't mean you won't do this. But if you're a democracy, there are more levers that are possible to undo it. You were just listening to Andrea Pitzer, author of One Long Night, A Global History of Concentration Camps. And before we end our show, we just want to thank Music in Exile for letting us use Abdul Mozit's song, which started the show and was recorded in a Rohingya refugee camp in Bangladesh. The Making Contact team includes Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, Sabine Blazin, Lisa Rudman, Aisha Chowdhury, Dylan Hoyer, and I'm Salima Hamarani. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. And thank you, indeed, for listening to Making Contact. Coming up next on KBOO Portland is Disability Justice. And at 10.30, we'll hear film at 11. It is 10.01, and this is, as mentioned, well, this is some important announcements about what's going on in and around your community, followed by Disability Justice on your community radio. KBOO Portland. KBOO is a proud co-sponsor of the Portland Folk Music Society 2019-20 concert season. Kate Lee and Forrest O'Connor kick off 2020 on Friday, January 17th. They are co-lead singers and primary songwriters for the Grammy Award-winning O'Connor Band. That's Kate Lee and Forrest O'Connor, Friday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m., doors at 7, at the Reedwood Friends Church, 2901 Southeast Steel Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good morning. This is Disability Justice, an everyday pursuit and survival. Your host, John Griffiths. And Dina Wilder, board operator. Today with me in the studio is Jennifer Knapp from Community Vision. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. So, would you mind telling us a little bit about Community Vision? Sure. Community Vision is an organization in the Portland metro area, and we serve folks with disabilities and have been around since 1989. So this is our 30th year. 
So coming up, actually, we're going to have a fundraiser to celebrate our 30th birthday. Um, But Community Vision started out focusing on serving one person at a time, and that is six. So we have gone from one program to six. So we've had a lot of growth in the last few years. Our flagship program, the main thing that we do, is called Supported Living. And so that's where people live in their own homes or apartments, and we provide staff to them everywhere from a few hours a day to 24 hours a day. And we have people called coordinators who do all of the indirect help, like helping to schedule staff and figuring out all of that in-between stuff. And um, then we have direct support staff. So that's kind of our main thing that we do. And then we have five other programs that are helpful for folks. So the the second one that we added was employment, helping people with disabilities to get jobs. Um, then we added financial empowerment. So that's where people can save. Yeah, I was a part of that program. Very useful program. Yeah, and what did you save for? Uh, I saved for uh, a car. Yeah. So um, that's a great example of where people can save for a big purchase like a car or starting a business or maybe assistive technology. Um, At one point, it used to have a high enough ceiling that you could actually do a a down payment on a house, correct? Correct. So actually, the IDA amount hasn't changed. It's just as Portland prices have gotten so much higher, the money doesn't go as as far as it used to. So uh, an IDA is called an individual development account. And what it is, is the person puts some savings in on a regular basis. So every month, usually, and then we have some money from the state to match that savings. So every dollar that a person puts in, they get $3 in match. So up to $12,000 total. Very nice program. Wish they'd fund it to a much higher level. That's right, but it's a it's a good start. So we have supported living, employment, and financial empowerment, um, and then some of our newer programs are something called assistive technology, and so that is actually in our building on Twentieth and Division, where folks can come and get everything from high tech kind of devices to maybe a pencil grip to if you if it's hard for you to grasp a pencil um, and every Thursday people can just come into the lab um, and that's a great opportunity if you're interested in assistive technology or think there might be something that could help you that would be an amazing thing you can just walk in on Thursday afternoons if Thursday afternoons don't work for you you can always make an appointment but Kim and Carrie our directors would be happy to talk with folks Um, And then the other programs that we have are helping folks to find affordable housing. As we talked a little bit already, um, the Portland prices have really gone through the roof (laughs) in terms of housing. And so we are working to help people find affordable housing. And then finally, our final program is called Community Engagement. And that is we have some art openings that people can get involved with. We have different ways for people to connect with community members. Um, And we have some family education sessions, particularly for people who are leaving high school and trying to figure out the adult world. And then 
last but not least, we also have Self-Advocates Taking Action, which is our self-advocacy group that we support um, that is part of community engagement. Wow, you guys have a comprehensive amount of uh, programs. Um, is there a- any chance that you're going to expand out to a, a number seven, perhaps? That's a good question. Not at this point. Um, our One of our big focuses recently has been moving into our new building. So we were able to get some land donated by the county. Um, and then we had to raise a bunch of money from a lot of people um, and built a building in southeast Portland that is universally designed. And so the idea of universal design... Um, A lot of people know about the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, and that's kind of the minimum standard for accessibility. Universal design is taking it to, if it could really be designed for everyone, what would it look like? So we were able to do that with our new building. Um, And not only is community vision there, but there are other nonprofits that are in that same space that we all share together. Um, And so I think going forward, our focus is going to be continuing to work with other nonprofits and then to teach others about some of these kinds of services that we're doing. So our current plan isn't to expand to new programs, but to help build the capacity of other people. Hmm. Yes, I must say, I really appreciate that accessible kitchen upstairs. Great. Yeah, we uh, had the self-advocate group and some some folks from the community come and make cookies last fall, and everybody was able to use the kitchen. I was there. I really appreciated that party. That was a really great one. Excellent. Glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. So, Jennifer, what's your role in CVI? So my job is called Head of Programs. And so what that means is I oversee all of our programs to make sure that people are doing their jobs and that we're getting the results that we need. Um, And so that means each of those programs has a director or or a coordinator over it. And so I supervise them and help provide them direction and leadership and skill building. Um, And then I'm also thinking about as a whole, how do we as an organization move forward? Um, So sometimes that involves advocacy. Um, So organizations like the Developmental Disability Coalition is a group I'm a part of. Um, sometimes that involves partnerships with other groups. So my my job is really to kind of look over the actual program work that we're doing and keep it headed in the right direction. Trust me, you do a really good job. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Aren't you also the staff member for Self-Advocates Taking Action? I am. So that is one of the more fun parts of my job, actually, is I get to work with self-advocates taking action and and provide the the role of the support person. And so what what self-advocates taking action is, is a group that is led by folks with disabilities themselves. And so my role as a support person isn't to lead the group, but more to help provide information when it's needed, help coordinate, um, and to sometimes keep people from fighting with each other. <laughs> Trust me, that helps us an awful lot. But, you know, I, I just got to say, you know, how much I really appreciate it and how much people actually flourish when they really get good staff members such as yourself and such as Dina Wilder. Um, you know, I mean, 
the two of you have a way of bringing people with intellectual disabilities or people with just disabilities in general uh, out of their shells and and into the larger community and helping them flourish to be reproductive members of society. I mean, there's um, so much that um, the right people can do to elevate those with disabilities up. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think it is, it's such a wonderful role because so many times people with disabilities are told what they can't do. And I think places like self-advocates taking action is all about helping people discover that they actually have collective power. And when they can speak up for themselves, when they can have use their voice, things can change and that can affect other people. And that to me is really exciting. It's one of my favorite things is when somebody does something that somebody else told them they couldn't do. Uh And I'm like, no, look, here's me doing it and it's working and it's amazing. Part of the power of self-advocates taking action is that folks with disabilities are coming together to figure out what is it that they care about. And this is an issue that people collectively have decided they care about. Um, And I think lending your voices to the fight for better wages resulted in some successes in this last session. Granted, we didn't get everywhere we wanted to go, but we did make a huge leap. I mean, together, $90 million, once you add the federal and the state together, that's that's not pocket change, right? That's some money. It's not pocket change, but uh, I was still kind of hoping for a little better than 4%. I, I, I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen like an increase to the, to the point of where people could have gotten like 18 an hour. Absolutely. There's definitely more work to be done. Um, but I also think one of the things that's so important about self-advocacy and advocacy in general is that we do have to celebrate our successes when they come because there's always going to be battles. There's always going to be the next fight. Yep. And so we have to get good at saying, hey, we did this together. And to celebrate not only the outcome, which in this case was a higher wage, but also the the skills and the relationships and the growth that we all experienced through our advocacy. See, that's what's so good about you. You always point out the positive. It's sometimes my job. Um, and, and I think that's that's a big part of it is so many of the of folk, many folks with disabilities have experienced a lot of trauma, again, a lot of people telling them what they can't do. And so to be in a space where you can start to think about what do you want, it, it often brings up some of these negative experiences. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, everybody makes an assumption. Everybody takes a first glance and says, uh, you don't have a problem or they make an assumption that uh, you don't really need the help. Sometimes with the right help, you you do come out of your shell and you do flourish. It's just like um, the assumption can't be made. Like, you know, nobody should be making an assumption about another person's ability or their ability to do or not do. Right. This is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and I think in places like self-advocates taking action, not only is it where people can be accepted for who they are, but also where 
folks can support each other. So, for example, we have in our group some people who really like to talk and other people who are a lot shyer. And one of the things that I love is when we have one of the talkative people talk to, say to the shyer person, hey, I haven't heard from you. What do you think? Uh-huh. Um, and that's actually something that I've seen you do, John. And that's incredibly wonderful that when the group can start to figure out how to support each other, um, to me, that's when that's when we're really functioning well. Yeah. John, I actually have a question for you because I have been supporting SATA now for self-advocates taking action now for a couple of years, but I know it was going on before me. Can you tell a little bit about the history of that group? I can do my best. I I probably don't know it all. Um, And this is from what I've heard from other self-advocates in the past. Um, from what I understand, self-advocates actually started in Fairview. Uh, at that point, it was called Pe- We Are People First. Uh, and uh, I had heard this from some of our o- older mem- I don't want to use the term older members, some of our long-term members. Now, unfortunately, I got diagnosed rather late in life, so I actually came to this much later. But um, when it became self-advocates taking action, it was Gail Gardner, I do believe, who unfortunately has no longer with us. Uh, she went to, um, I, I think she told me she went to the ARC. And she talked to a staff member there. And I think at that time it was uh, Jamie... Danum. Danum that she talked to and for the longest time it was Jamie Danum who was actually our staff member for self-advocates taking action Uh, and then from there it went from Emily Rodemaker who's unfortunately had more responsibility within community vision and she had to step down and uh, I think it was very fortunate that uh, you had come along at some point and uh, said, hey, I really want to be a part of Community Vision. And then I think we got very lucky in the fact that we wound up with you as our staff member. And, you know, that's the one thing I've got to say about Community Vision is I've always really support appreciated the fact that they have been our biggest supporters and at times even our umbrella <laughs> And, uh, you you know, being linked to Community Vision through SATA has uh, always been uh, a really big joy for me at the very least. If I can, I I tell you what, I I really hope that self-advocates taking action will be a part of Community Vision until the end of time. Well, and I think one of the things that's so great about it is that it's not just people that Community Vision supports. So like yourself, you don't get any direct services from Community Vision. um, And we have several people who don't. And so I think that's one of the nice things is that it's not a, it doesn't become then about Community Vision. It's able to be about just another way that we support folks to do what they want. (laughs) And so that's one of the things I really like about self-advocates taking action is that we can provide the support, but it really is about what you all want to do and Uh what matters to you as advocates. So, Jennifer, how can somebody 
who wants to get involved get involved with self-advocates taking action and uh, who exactly um, are are the people that self-advocates are um, involving in this? Yeah. So the best way to get involved would just be to come and try out a meeting. So we meet on the second Friday of each month from 11 to 1 at the Seven Corners Collaborative Building. And um, meetings are, are open to anyone, but the focus is really on people with developmental disabilities because a lot of where the advocacy is is around changing that system. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where the, the members of the group are receiving services from developmental disabilities. So that would be the, the people to really focus on. So you're focusing mostly on those with an intellectual disability, even though anybody and everybody's welcome to show up. And Correct. Yeah, the point is to have the voice of folks with intellectual disabilities who are often not heard. And mm-hmm. so yeah. the point is to hear them, not to hear from other folks. Well, those with intellectual disabilities often have a difficult time um, speaking or communicating in general. Even if you can verbally communicate, sometimes you don't always feel empowered enough to um, use your voice. And then there are just times in which you don't have a voice to use. And that can be very frustrating and painful. Yeah, agreed. So, Jennifer, can you tell us about some of the accomplishments that the self-advocates have made? Yeah. I think some of the best things that have happened is that by self-advocates coming together, we have been able to have enough power to get the attention of some pretty important decision makers. Like who? So in the last few years, we have had um, Senator Ron Widenstaff come to our meetings. We've had Rosa Klein, who works directly for the governor. Um, We've had Lilia, who is the director of developmental disabilities. Um, and others that we'll talk about in a little bit with with other activities, but it's been able to get the voices of people with disabilities actually directly in front of these decision makers. And people have also had some opportunities to actually speak in Salem. And I believe in front of a hearing, that's something that even you have done. Yes, I have. What was that? You want to tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Uh, that was nerve-wracking as hell. Um, I started swearing at one point. Uh, that was extremely embarrassing. Um, yeah, um, it can be very anxiety-producing, but at the same time, if they don't hear from us, they don't know how to help us. Right. Yeah, so I think there's there's more to build on. Um, and in fact, that is that is part of why we have developed something called Build a Movement, which I know has been your brainchild. Um, well, and actually, it's been kind of like you and me and then Community Vision and then the local brokerage, uh, local brokerages have gotten in and also financially support, supported us. Um, so, I mean, that's really been very appreciative for them to get in and help us out with that. And if I remember correctly, it started out with you, me, Meg, and Katie uh, Rose. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the idea behind Build a Movement was that there were some small self-advocacy groups, like self-advocates taking action, that we wanted to get even stronger and to have more of a voice in the Portland area. And so I remember you coming with that idea of really, I think you were the one that coined the phrase, build a movement. Um, and a- so. Actually, it came out of my severe frustration with uh, the entire legislative process. I was upset both at the federal government and the state government. And I can't remember exactly which one I came to first. It was either you or it was Meg. And I said, oh, what I really want to do is get all of the politicians, both federal and state, in one room and lock them in there and scream at them for several hours. And somebody had told me that would not go over very well and had to correct me and hold me back, if I remember correctly. Once again, I can't remember if it was you or Meg who had to do that, but uh, I talked to one of you, you talked to the other person, and the two of you started forming Build a Movement in conjunction with myself, and then I think we brought Katie Rose into it, and um, she um, hooked us up with um, um, lobbyists, um, Karen and Scott. Do I got their names right? I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so where it evolved to, right? So it started with, yeah, you wanting to yell at legislators, and we thought, let's try another way. And so what we decided to do was a two-part where we first got self-advocates to come together and really talk about what is it that they care about most. And so we had post-it notes of everybody's ideas and um, and then the group together voted on which ones they cared about the most. And we decided those were the ones, the issues we were going to bring to the legislators. And then step two was actually to invite the legislators to come and to have a discussion with them. And so the self-advocates, you all, shared what you cared about. And do you remember what those three big issues were? Yes, I I do. Um, If I remember correctly, um, it was kind of like health care, I think, was number one. And then it was housing number two. And then it was uh, brokerage services was number three, if I remember correctly. Developmental disability services. and Yeah, d- yeah. developmental services. Yeah, I don't think we, we ranked them, but yeah, those were the, the three big ones that uh-huh. everyone agreed on. Yeah, so that was the first year that we did it, and we've been gradually uh, evolving this event, and this will be the third year that we're doing it, and We've expanded it out to now like four events, and I can't fully remember everything. Would you mind elaborating for me? Sure. So last year, we did the same first two where we got the self-advocates together to say, okay, what have we had progress on and what still needs to be changed? Um, And then had conversations with the legislators about that. But then this past year was a full legislative session. And so we had two more events that we did. In the spring, we actually brought self-advocates together again to do some training about how to do community organizing. Self-advocates. Now that's the BAM movement, right? Correct. Yeah. So through BAM. um, So it was things like, how do you go from what you're mad about to what the solution is you want? um, And who are the decision makers who can actually give you what you want? So we went through that training and started to narrow down our issues. Um, And then we actually went to Salem for as part of BAM to one of the advocacy days and pushed for 
the um, an increase in wages for DSPs, direct mm-hmm. direct service direct support professionals. And this year, um, I remember that we were talking to Dan Pesha about trying to get. The, I mean, we've always tried to get the West Siders more involved, and this year we're kind of hoping that we can do two of the events over there on the West Side to draw more West Siders in and to draw the East and West together and give us bigger voices and give us more representation as we will be able to draw not only from the people are from our legislators here in Portland, but from our legislators over there in Beaverton, Tiger, and Wilsonville, and, and far as we can get people. Exactly. Yeah, so we have the first two events already planned. So on October 11th is when we'll have the planning session, and that's for people with disabilities to talk about what they care about the most. And then on November... And just out of curiosity... Um, are we trying to invite uh, Pacific people or are we just kind of like inviting uh, those, anybody with an intellectual disability to come to this event? So the focus really is leaders, mm-hmm. um, people that want to be involved in advocacy and see themselves as wanting to be um, leading other folks. Uh, what we have asked is, as you mentioned, the, the local brokerages have said they'll help fund it again. Uh-huh. And so each Brokerage is nominating five folks to attend. You're welcome. That's the end of disability justice. Since we cannot be fully aware of everybody's difficulties within the community, we would really like it if you would send us your email, disabilityjustice at kbu.org. Also, we're always looking for fun inexpensive things to do out in the community, go to disabilityjustice at kboo.org to contact us and give us your ideas. He's Mr. Redman Don't put me out in the street The Community Alliance of Tenants is working to increase awareness in Washington County of the statewide law SB 608 that was passed in early 2019. It limits rent increases and no-cost terminations for residential leases. There is a temporary bilingual English and Spanish hotline set up for Washington County renters with questions about SB 608, rent increases, no-cost termination notices, and or lease non-renewal notices. Phone number is 503-644-3007. Again, that's the Renner's Right hotline phone number for Washington County every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. through January 30th at 503-644-3007. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. I'm right in the middle of solving that riddle known as raising the... And this is KBOO Portland. It's 10.30 a.m., and I get to remind you that KBOO programming is made possible by KBU member listeners and support from Darkside Cinema. Open every night featuring independent, foreign, and art house films. The Darkside is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street between Madison and Jefferson Avenues in Corvallis, Oregon. More information and showtimes available online at darksidecinema.com. Because it is now time for... 
Film at 11. Yes, indeed. It is now time for Film at 11. I'm DK Home. I'm here with Mona Bowen. I am here in body. <clears throat> uh, but, but not spirit? <laughs> oh, ma- spirit, maybe. 